0: Today on Blue 58, it took a while, but the Packers' offensive line eventually came together in 2022 until it fell apart again. What's the picture look like going forward, and what do they do with their most obvious weak spot? Blue Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of ThePowerSweep.com. I am your host, John Muertink, happy to be with you here for another episode. We are talking offensive line and just offensive line today, both the present and the future. And it's probably a good thing for the Packers, but the present looks a lot like the future. There shouldn't be a whole lot of turnover in this group between now and the start of the 2023 season, which is a good thing, I think. If you look back on where the Packers' offensive line was in 2022, I think there's a danger in having your opinion tainted a little bit by how things started. And more or less how things ended. Because how things started, you've got David Bakhtiari out, you've got Elton Jenkins out, and then Bakhtiari working his way back in slowly, Jenkins working his way back in at right tackle, before things sort of solidify with Bakhtiari finally, hopefully for good, getting healthy. Elton Jenkins moving back to, to left guard, John Runyon flipping over to the right spot, Josh Nyman settling in over there as well. And then David Bocciari's appendix goes haywire and everything sort of is back to square one again as Zach Tom takes over again. But if you at least look at the guys that they've got going from 2022 with an offensive line that for most of the middle portion of the season was at least fairly solid to 2023, it should be at least as good as it was at the good points in 2022. I understand if you're shaken by the start and the end, I've been there. I am there still a lot, and we'll talk about that for a couple of reasons here. But overall, I don't have a whole lot of complaints with the offensive line as it shook out. There are some individual complaints that I have, and they should not be terribly surprising to you, but we'll cross those when the time comes to them. First, I want to talk about the guys that don't meet our thresholds for going a little bit deeper. Then I want to talk about how I want to talk about the offensive line. But the guys that don't meet our thresholds, 100 snaps on your primary unit, so offense in this case, are Sean Ryan, Rashid Walker, and Jake Hansen. And I will throw Caleb Jones in there as well, because I feel like had he not gotten mono and been out for most of the season on the non-football injury list, he would have gotten some sort of play in a game at some point. But Ryan played one snap on special teams. Rasheed Walker played four snaps on special teams. Jake Hansen played 69 snaps uh, on offense and 18 on special teams. And I'm missing Luke Tenuta in here as well. He played seven snaps, I think, on offense and a few more on special teams. So between those four guys and Caleb Jones, I think you've got some intriguing options. None of those intriguing options are Jake Hansen. So let's just throw that name out there right now. Uh, But between Walker and Tenuta and Jones... As I said in um, a piece I wrote last month at ThePowerSweep.com, you've got three really intriguing tackle prospects, all of them very big, all of them with fairly long-term starting pedigrees in college. And for all the different things that you look at at college offensive linemen, you know, athleticism, scheme fit, all the things along those lines, something that I tend to come back to a lot is how long you start. If you're a long-term starter in college, I don't think you can afford to ignore that at the NFL level because there are just so few starting caliber offensive linemen. The college game is getting better and better in ways that are more and more relevant to the NFL. It just seems like a mistake to ignore guys that started for a long time in college. Luke Tenuta was a long-term starter at Virginia Tech. He took over, actually, for Yash Nyman after he left the Hokies and eventually ended up in Green Bay. Rasheed Walker, a long-time starter at Penn State. Caleb Jones, a long-time starter at Indiana. If you have your issues with those programs, I understand. But that's a lot of high-quality reps or reps of varying qualities. It's a a lot of starters reps at important positions for these guys that have very desirable physical attributes. Caleb Jones may not be a dynamic athlete, but he's huge. Those are still some rare physical attributes. Luke Tenuta, same sort of qualities. Rasheed Walker, not quite as big as Tenuta or Jones, but in the ballpark as well. And of those three, probably the the most highly pedigreed of college, or of, in college, the, the best college resume, put it that way. Most decorated of the three for sure. I don't think you can ignore those sorts of things. It just feels like to me, one of those three guys is going to shake loose and become something for the Packers. They've poured too much into them and they seem to have similar backgrounds to guys that have become something long-term, a guy like Yash Nyman, that you can't really ignore them either. Sean Ryan is intriguing for similar reasons, but I would understand if you were, if you had a little bit of a sour taste in your mouth about him as well. Just the one snap on special teams is a pretty terrible debut for a third round pick. However, even more so than the the three guys we just talked about, Ryan has some good athletic ability and he's got guard and tackle experience. If anything, you should be able to put him on the Royce Newman track and get something out of him, or at least try to get something out of him. Or maybe you miss. But he's got the tools to at least be in the conversation for another year. Hanson, I think we've seen enough. But these four other guys out of the five here... Worth remembering and worth keeping in your mind as we head, you know, through OTAs and offseason and all that sort of thing. And guys like that are going to be reasons why maybe the Packers don't invest a whole lot at particular offensive line positions. Because I think there is one area where the Packers might want to seek a little bit of help, but that's a, that's a little ways off here. Now, in terms of the guys who did meet our thresholds here, the guys who did play 100 snaps or more, we're going to do things a little bit differently than we do at the other positions, We talk about meeting expectations, you know, stats, um, diving a little bit deeper on, on their performance for the year. I don't want to do that with the offensive line for a couple of reasons. First, offensive line, more so than I think any other position we look at in these recap things, is dependent on the guys around you. It's a unit more than individual's. The individuals are still important. The individuals help your unit, but your offensive line can look bad even if four of the five guys look pretty good. Secondly, looking at those individual performances gets very complicated unless you're willing to do a whole ton of film work on it. I am willing to do the film work. I do not have the time to do the film work. So we're going to talk more about where the Packers guys that they played in 2022 fit into their picture going forward and what we think about it says about the decisions the Packers are making on their offensive line because that I think we can talk about when you bring in things like pro football focus grades or or other sorts of of things you start to get a little bit more of a picture of how an individual guy fits into a picture like that so from that perspective I think we can dive into what these, these individual guys are are capable of or, or might be able to contribute to 2023 and beyond. So with those caveats aside, let's talk first and foremost about Royce Newman. 451 snaps on offense, 68 on special teams for the second year man. Looking at his season and looking at his career to this point, He feels to me a little bit like an offensive version of Dean Lowry. I don't think that Royce Newman is necessarily bad per se. And if that didn't come through clearly enough in our our defensive line segment or defensive line episode, I don't think Dean Lowry is bad per se. However, I think both Newman and Lowry are a little bit miscast and the Packers seem to insist on using both of them in situations where they can't really be at their best. Dean Lowry plays a position that I don't know if really exists in the NFL anymore. He is athletically, skill set wise, and just physically, basically a 3-4 defensive end. And you just don't have those five technique fence post ends anymore. They just don't play that kind of scheme in the NFL, and it may not have been around when he was drafted. Royce Newman is kind of in that same category. He's a guy almost without a position to this point, yet the Packers kind of try to use him in this amorphous sort of way, which is not necessarily his skill set. Let me expand on that a little bit more. Royce Newman was better at guard than at tackle, in 2022. At guard, he was better at guard in 2022 than he was at tackle, and he was better at guard in 2021 than he was at guard or tackle in 2022. Looking back to his 2021 season, he became a fairly competent guard down the stretch in 2021, but he kind of fell into that category of players where you don't necessarily feel bad about him when he's out there, but the second that you have a better option, you will go with that slightly better option, and that's what the Packers did Down the stretch last year, last year still being 2021. That's probably what played out in 2022 as well because the Packers had him out on the field early on because they really didn't have any better options. Not that they were really going out of their way to find one either. Looking at how his career has played out, I think you're kind of looking at Newman a little bit like we did at Billy Turner circa late 2019, early 2020. We said repeatedly on this show and elsewhere that what the Packers really needed to do with Turner then was to find a spot for him and let him stay there, whether it's right guard or right tackle or left tackle. Just let him pick something and stick with it. Because it's great to be able to move guys around, and it's great when you can find guys who can do that, but not everybody can do that. And perhaps more importantly, not everybody needs to do that. And perhaps most importantly of all, not everybody should do that. Sometimes a guy is a guard and needs to play guard. And sometimes a guy is specifically a right guard and needs to just play right guard. And I'm not saying that's what Newman needs to do or what Newman should do. Just using that as a for instance. The Packers have done very well in the Matt LaFleur slash Adam Stanovich era, moving guys around. But not everybody can do that and not everybody should do that. And I think the Packers could do a better job of recognizing when a guy just doesn't have the skills to do that. They might want him to be able to move from right guard to right tackle and play whatever position you need and all sorts of things like that. But some people just can't do that. And I wonder if Royce Newman is that sort of player. And I wonder if the Packers, on top of Newman not getting the job done in the positions they're putting him in, I wonder if the Packers are doing him a disservice by not putting him in positions where he can succeed. Because that, I think, is is a recurring question we've had about the offensive line dating back to the start of the 2022 season. Are the Packers coaches putting guys in positions where they can succeed? And I think that has been a an issue with the Packers offensive line at times too, because as well as they've done moving guys around, sometimes they try to move people around and it doesn't work. The 2021 playoffs are an example that we've come up with come back to a lot. Moving Billy Turner to left tackle there ended up being a pretty consequential choice for the Packers season, and it just looked like physically that was something that he was not able to do. I think in 2022, we saw things that Royce Newman was getting asked to do that he is just not able to do. And you get into, to circle back to an analogy that we used at times about Kevin King, you start falling into the frog and, cor- uh, frog and scorpion sort of situation there. Early 2021 season, Kevin King gets beat on another deep shot down the sideline. And everybody goes ballistic online. Understandably, because a big factor of the pack, or the big, <laughs> one of the defining features of the 2020 Packer season was Kevin King getting smoked down the sideline for a fairly notable touchdown. And yet the Packers put him in a position to do that again, and he got toasted again. And at a certain point, you have to stop getting mad at the player and start getting mad at the person who is allowing the player to be exposed like that. I think that's kind of where we are sometimes with Royce Newman. Are you putting Royce Newman in a position where he is going to make you look smart or make you look dumb? Because if Newman just plays how he is, has played and played and played and he looks bad, whose fault is that really? I think the Packers need to figure out where Royce Newman is actually capable of playing and put him there and let him stay there. Let him figure out one spot and do his best at it. When he did just play one spot in 2021, eventually he got better. That wasn't something he got to do in 2022, and he really never did get better. The flip side of that, of course, is Zach Tom, who played 489 snaps on offense, none on special teams. A little bit surprising that we never saw him out there on special teams. I was surprised to learn that prepping for this today. Tom, you moved him around all over the offensive line, and he seemed to do well wherever he ended up. The problem with Tom is, again, a coaching issue. Because if you want to grow, you have to be willing to experience some growing pains. One of the defining stories of the 2022 Packers season is this thing that I think you and I, as a podcast producer and a podcast listener, were on pretty early. The Packers were going to have some growing pains, and that was by design. They were hoping to grow over the course of the 2022 season into something that could contend in the playoffs eventually. Now, whether or not that is actually a realistic goal, I think is going to be for history to decide, and it's probably not going to come down on the side of the Packers being very smart there. But it was at least a plan. The plan was to experience growth over the course of the season. But you have to be willing to experience some growing pains if you want that to happen. And as far as Zach Tom is concerned, I think the Packers... Seem to be trying to avoid those growing pains while still wanting to grow. They seemed to practice some fairly extreme risk avoidance with Tom in, I think, a really misguided way. Because Zach Tom sat on the bench for much of the early portions of the season while Jake Hansen and Royce Newman, or rather Jake Hansen or Royce Newman, was out doing things at right guard and right tackle, and Tom was not. Tom is as good or better of an athlete than both of those guys, has a better college resume than both of those guys, and turned out in 2022 to be a pretty good player, though physically limited due to some weight-related issues there, to be sure. But if you're not starting a guy because he's light and just starting guys that are bad, that is a, a bad decision. But the Packers, if you're looking at it from their perspective, I think we're practicing some risk avoidance because they're saying to themselves, all right, Hanson and Newman might not be good, but Zach Tom might be worse. But then early in the season, we saw how bad Hanson and Newman were. How much worse could Tom really have been? What are you realistically hoping for then? That he's not worse than that? It seems like a pretty safe bet. And again, you have to call into question the coaching decisions, because this is not an issue of the players. I feel like Jake Hansen and Royce Newman have been whipping boys a little bit for me on this podcast, and I have to admit that is not entirely fair. Because as I I suppose I've taken some pains to say on this episode, it's not your fault if you get put into a situation where you can't succeed, and then you don't succeed. I have a three-year-old boy. If I ask him to do some some complicated things in support of, say, like making dinner, and he messes it up, whose fault is it really? If I ask him to, you know, fill up everybody's glasses with water when we've got his grandparents over for lunch, and he spills the water on the floor instead of getting it in the glasses because he's not tall enough to reach the glasses on the table is that his problem or is that my problem? It's my problem because I'm the dad. I'm supposed to know better. I'm supposed to be making these decisions. That's where I think a lot of the offensive line stuff ends up breaking down if you look at the Packers this year. Because the decisions don't ultimately seem to be player problems. They're players getting put in positions where they shouldn't be to begin with. Zach Tom is the positive version of that. Royce Newman is the negative version. Now we start to get into the more preferred starter territory here with David Bakhtiari, who played 597 snaps on offense, zero on special teams. I actually have very little to say about David Bakhtiari. From a human interest perspective, it's great that he managed to get back out onto the field. Shows a lot of perseverance, high character move. There were a lot of reasons for him to just walk away if it was me, you know, understanding that you, you want to go out and do, do things for your teammates as much as for yourself at a, at a point you have to think about yourself too. I would think, you know, he's relatively newly married, had a new kid on the way. There had to be a part of his brain at some point in say, January, February, March, 2022, had said, you know what, I don't need this anymore. And I think that would be a totally understandable thing. If he had retired between the end of 2021 and the start of 2022, I don't think anybody would have blamed him. But he kept battling and he came back. And when he was on the field, he was good in 2022. According to Pro Football Focus, he was the eighth best pass blocking offensive lineman, regardless of position, and the sixth best tackle. I think as it pertains to 2023, you take him back if he wants to play. It's a pretty simple equation. There aren't many David Bakhtiaris out there. You've got one. If he wants to play, you keep him. Contract stuff doesn't really get super movable until after this year, anyway. If he wants to come back, bring him back. You're going to need players at a certain point, anyway. He proved he could play at a high level still in 2022. If he wants to play in 2023, I say you bring him back. Moving right up the ladder of snaps here, Yash Nyman played 756 snaps on offense, 66 on special teams. Weird season, I think, for Yash Nyman. And a weird thing popped up as I was researching this episode. It seemed to be pretty common knowledge that Yash Nyman was hurt in the second half of the season. We saw that pop up a couple of times where he got pulled out of games, especially in the in the Lions game, in favor of uh, Zach Tom. Matt LaFleur mentioned a couple times that he uh, was battling something, but he never actually appeared on the injury report this year. He was hurt, apparently. Hurt enough to come out of games, but not hurt enough to appear on the injury report. Interesting. I think this was a challenging year for Nyman. He starts off in a bit of a timeshare at left tackle, has the week-in, week-out question of whether or not David Bakhtiari is going to play. Apparently, uh, the alternating series thing was not super popular internally, and they didn't even know at times until up until pregame warm-ups whether or not Bakhtiari was going to be able to play at all. And so Yash instead of getting reps at right tackle, where it was, it looked like it was going to be his long-term position for the Packers in 2022, he still had to hang out at left tackle, which prevented the Packers from doing a whole bunch of other things. And then you end up not really having a position. And then of course he gets hurt. You're in and out of the lineup as a result of that. It's a good thing, good example of how things in football aren't often fair, but they can still affect your career. Still, I think, over the past two years, Nyman has proved that he can be a starting caliber tackle in the NFL. And I would have to think that he gets tendered as a restricted free agent this offseason, may or probably will get the second round tender. I don't think anybody makes a run at him, but even at the second round level, it's like $4 million in change. That is not bank-breaking money for a starting tackle in the NFL. And between Bakhtiari and him and Zach Tom you're not overspending at tackle, and you're between those three guys, I think you're in a, a fairly strong position. Two left here. Three left here. Elton Jenkins, 960 snaps on offense, zero on special teams. I think the possibility of doing too much is a real concern, even for very gifted people. There are people who are extremely talented, regardless of their field, who still try to do too much and end up overloading themselves. And I think the Packers were asking too much of Jenkins early in the 2022 season. He was 10 months, give or take a little bit, from his torn ACL, and he's starting at tackle. Not his primary position. A position he had played well in the past, but not his primary position. And I think that showed early in the season. Of note this year, four of his five best-graded games, according to Pro Football Focus, came at guard, where he ultimately ended up after some experimentation at right tackle. But just as interesting, three of his four worst games of the season were also at guard. So I think if we're going to boil it down to one phrase, I would say it's a high-variance year for Elton Jenkins. He had some very, very, very good games also had some very, very bad games at both tackle and guard. The Packers are going to be betting that he is not a high-variance player going forward. I think if you look at the balance of his career up to 2022, that is a pretty safe bet. Anything can happen, but I think looking at the contract that he and the Packers agreed to, it's not going to be cap-ruining, even if things don't work out, even if he's never as good again as he was early in 2020, 2021 or 2020. I am not worried about the Packers and Elton Jenkins and, and the contract they agreed to at all. And I think it's interesting and, and kind of a win-win that he still has some incentives in there where he can make some money for playing at a very high level at guard or tackle. So wherever he ends up playing for the Packers, if he plays at a high level, he is going to be rewarded which I think is a big win for both player and team because player wants to get rewarded for doing well. The team wants him to do well, and now he's got all the incentive in the world to do absolutely as, as as well as he possibly can do. Great deal, I think, for both sides, and it's a good way for the Packers to roll the dice in a way that they're not really risking all that much. John Runyon, talking about guys you don't have to say a whole lot about. Just been... St- steady Eddie since he joined the starting lineup in 2021. 1,000 snaps on offense again, 1,051 to be precise, 66 on special teams, back-to-back 1,000 snap seasons. I don't need to tell you about John Runyon. He is not a perfect player, but he's a solid player, and you just need a bunch of solid players to fill out your roster. To give you an example of how rare of a player he is, though, here's a stat for you. There have been six instances of a player drafted in the sixth round or later since 2020, so the last three seasons, playing at least 1,000 snaps in a season. So six separate seasons where that's happened. Kansas City's Trey Smith has two of those seasons. Donovan Peoples-Jones in Cleveland and Michael Unwenu in New England have two of the other ones. And the other two seasons belong to John Runyon. Two 1,000 snap seasons in his first three years as a sixth round pick. Not too shabby at all. I don't know what you start to do with John Runyon from a contract perspective because next year he goes into a contract year. He doesn't seem like an all star caliber guard. If Elton Jenkins is a 100, I don't know what John Runyon is. Is he an 80? Is he a 70? That seems low. Is he a 90? I don't think he's 90% of Elton Jenkins. But he is really solid. And those are guys that are, are worth keeping if you can, unless someone decides that they really think he can elevate their offensive line and gives him money that pays accordingly. That is a problem for spring of 2023 or 2024. We are in well, getting close to spring in 2023, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. A bridge the Packers do need to cross involves center Josh Myers. He led the Packers offense with 1,091 snaps, also played 50 on special teams. This is a tricky situation for the Packers because although I don't have specific criticisms of Myers, I've not watched offensive line play in enough detail to say this is what he did bad in this game and this that and the other thing I would say that of the Packers five preferred starters he is the one who needs the most competition heading into 2023 and I'll tell you why here in a second but those preferred five left to right are going to be David Bakhtiari who if he is healthy is going to start Elton Jenkins same deal Josh Myers is your center John Runyon is going to be in there at right guard And then at right tackle, you've got Yash Yash Nyman or Zach Tom, or if you stack it the other way, Zach Tom and Yash Nyman. Those are probably your five. Some configuration of those six names will be your starting five guys. Myers, of those five, I think is the most vulnerable because if you start looking at things like pro football focus grades, it's hard to come to any other conclusion than that he's one of the worst centers in In football. He's in the bottom third, probably bottom quarter for sure. Of centers who played at least 600 snaps last season, he was the 24th best overall, according to Pro Football Focus. And that is mostly because of his run blocking. He ranked 28th out of 31 centers who played at least that many snaps, at least 600. His pass blocking, to be fair, was much better. He ranked 5th out of 31. But a big, big liability in the run game, and drags down the rest of the offensive line as a result. So if the Packers have a weak spot on the offensive line, it's probably center. And then if you're going to make an upgrade, you've got questions. First, who is that upgrade going to be? I think Zach Tom has to be an option. Played scout team center for the Packers, Seems like he is in that do-everything offensive lineman sort of mold. Uh, and if you look at his sort of physical attributes, supposedly he weighs around 305 pounds. I wouldn't be surprised to learn that he played at 10 to 15 pounds less than that at times in the in the 2022 regular season. Uh, but if if you were trying to minimize the need for him to change his body, sticking him at center is not a terrible idea. You can probably get him... Up 10 pounds or so, and he'll probably be okay. I think you might also want to see what Sean Ryan could do. If you're going to try him at guard and tackle, move him all the way inside, see if he can just manage one thing. Why not? But on top of that, if you're going to spend a draft pick on the offensive line this year, You might want to think about drafting a guy along the lines of Josh Myers because what was Myers when the Packers drafted him? He was a true center at Ohio State, played there basically exclusively, but the Packers have always talked about him as a center or a guard. So I think if you are starting to build your mental draft board for what's coming up in April, you might want to think about guys who have that sort of center guard flexibility because that may be a change the Packers are looking to make. And if the Packers do make a change at center, you have to ask yourself what becomes of Myers. Well, as we said, the Packers have always talked about him as a potential guard option. And if the Packers move him out of the center spot, the place that probably needs the most depth is guard. If the Packers are willing to do these things like start random people at right tackle or left tackle, right guard, left guard... I think they also have to be willing to try things with their established starters. Sure, Josh Myers has played, you know, almost 2,000 snaps at center over the past couple of years, but just because he's done that the past two years doesn't mean he can't contribute at guard going forward. Maybe he's better at guard than he was at center. Maybe giving him different responsibilities helps him shore up some of the weaknesses in his game. If you're willing to put guys out there who you know are going to be liabilities, why not be willing to move guys where you know that if he doesn't work out at this new position, at least you've got a very solid baseline for him somewhere else? Because even if Myers isn't a great center, he's at least a competent one. Fifth best pass blocking center isn't nothing even if he is a liability in the run game, you're going to be passing enough for that fifth best number to count for something. They've got to at least be open to the the option of moving him elsewhere, though. You can't just say, he is locked in at center. We're going to stick him at center just because he's always played center. If you're going to be willing to move all these other guys around, you've got to be willing to do it with this guy as well because that's the only way your offensive line is really going to get better. And if you've got a guy who's a liability, you've got to think out of the box a little bit too. That's all I've got for you on this episode of Blue 58. I appreciate you tuning in. I'd appreciate it even more if you would take a second and share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it. That's going to help more people find the show and get more people involved in this conversation that you and I are having around the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We will see you next time on Blue 58.